This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is card number 67T, Billy Massey, outfielder for Team USA. Okay, Billy Massey, never heard of him. Can't wait for this one. Before we get to Billy, we have some follow-up from previous episodes. And David, you were on another podcast this week. Thank you to listener Doug, who invited me onto the Conversations with Sports Fans podcast. If you are interested in hearing my sports fandom journey, check it out. Beware, there's some soccer talk. We will have a link in the show notes. Great fun to talk to Doug. And he has also had some other fans of the show and friends of the show on the podcast as well. So great podcast if you are interested in just hearing random fans talk about their fan journey. Yeah, soccer, socks, and Super Bowl shuffles. It was a great episode, so definitely check that out. We also have some follow-up about last week's episode about Cecil Cooper. On Cecil Cooper's card, we are interested in where that game was, who was that disembodied arm behind the plate, Thank you very much to listener Joey, Drumming Joey NYC on Instagram, who did some deep research. And what he found was that that Cecil Cooper and Jim Gantner card, because both of them looked very similar, he told us that they were both played at Yankee Stadium. He could tell from the railings, and he also points to the pinstripes on the catcher's arm. I thought that they looked like Cubs jerseys, but clearly my eyes were messed up because I also thought that the Brewers jersey was blue. Those were a darker shade. That was a Yankees jersey. So he points out the pinstripes, and he also pointed out that other Brewers cards in the 88 top set were likely taken on the same day. He pointed to Dan Plesak, Bill Schroeder, Mark Clear, and maybe Teddy Higuera. Joey then looked into the baseball reference history to find what day this game would have been. And he said that there was only one day game that the Brewers played at Yankee Stadium in 1987, and that was on June 14th. If you look at the box score of that, all of the guys that he listed played in that game. All of those pitchers, Dan Plesak, Mark Clear, and Teddy Higuera, all pitched in that game. Cecil Cooper and Jim Gantner played in the game. Jim Gantner hit a home run. We thought it looked like Cecil Cooper was hitting a home run in that picture because of the strength of his swing, the trajectory that his eyes were following. Unfortunately, Cecil went 0 for 4 in that game. He flied out in the seventh inning, so that could be the exact moment that was memorialized on the 1988 Topps card. One final note that Joey made, we mentioned Rick Cerrone having received a first-place MVP vote while Cecil Cooper hit 352 and did not receive a first-place MVP vote. The catcher... In that game, between the Milwaukee Brewers and the New York Yankees, whose arm is in the picture, Rick Cerrone. A more popular MVP vote than Cecil Cooper. Shocking but true. But that arm played a very important role in at least the picture of the card. So excellent research. Thanks so much, Drumming Joey, NYC. We really appreciate the follow-up. Also got some follow-up that there's one more Cecil or Cecil in the run of the show coming up. 
Andrew of Painted Cap fame reminded us that Cecil or Cecil Espy is to come in the program at some point in the 2020s or 30s. So we will see when that card comes across the transom. Thank you to everyone for your research. If you have any comments, any corrections, or any other follow-up, you can email us at 1988topspodcast at gmail.com. We love your submissions to the mailbag. So thank you very much. And now let's go to this week's card and Billy Massey. And why are we talking about Billy today? I have never heard of this guy. (laughs) I was looking through Yankees cards over on the 88 Tops blog run by our old friend at High Heat Stats. And I came across Billy Massey. And I said, who is Billy Massey and why is he connected with the Yankees? Why have I never heard of this guy? So I started looking into it. He's different from Kevin Moss, another Yankees farmhand who would be Billy's teammate at some point during their AAA careers. Billy Massey does not have a Saber bio, but he has a detailed bio from the Greater Hartford Twilight Baseball League. So thank you to Weston Ulbrich for doing that research. Spoiler alert, Bill Massey, Billy Massey, never made the big leagues, but he did win a gold medal, and he's still involved in baseball at a very high level. Okay, well, it still sounds like enough material for a show, so let's go to the front of 67T. And we have Billy Massey. He doesn't look old enough to be on this team. It looks like he's in high school. I mean, it looks like he's 16. We have the triple USA format that all of these cards have, where you have USA across the banner, USA on the hat, USA on the red, white, and blue shirt. The nameplate in red... Billy Massey in white. The sky is blue. It's red, white, and blue all over. And a very white Hanes brand undershirt, (laughs) presumably. It's a pretty generic looking card. Yeah, Billy looks like a kid. I think he was 21 years old in this picture. We also haven't had a diminutive name yet, have we? We've had many, many diminutive names. Willie Hernandez, Denny Martinez, Eddie Whitson, Carney Lankford, short for Carnston, I think, or Carnstover. (laughs) Lansford. Lansford. Lankford. Carnsford. Lank, Lank, Langston. <laughs> Carnston. Crampston. Why are you crying? The given name of Billy was William. I, I have friends who have been given a name with the, the Y at the end, but Billy was not his given name. His given name was William. On cards throughout his career, he went by Billy. Billy sometimes used instead of a cudgel, as in a Billy club. Or in Australia, it is a tin or enamel cooking pot with a lid and a wire handle for use when camping. Mm. And the quote that was given in the dictionary reference that I found was, Roger had our fire going and the billy boiling. Also used to describe an angry variety of goat that may be guarding a bridge. There are three or or fewer of those goats. (laughs) Billy does look like a child in this picture. Fresh-faced Billy. Good USA hat, jersey, but these cards are pretty boring. Now let's go to the back of 67T. We have Billy Massey, outfielder, 6'1", 190, right-handed batter and thrower. Born July 6, 1966 in Manchester, Connecticut, with a home in Manchester, Connecticut. Manchester is located in Hartford County. It is just outside of the city of Hartford, Connecticut. Manchester is named for the city of the same name in England. The area had previously been settled by the Podunk people. Yes, the Podunk people were a real tribe, and there are multiple towns named Podunk, one in Connecticut, New York, Vermont. 
a river named the Podunk River. And Podunk is an Algonquin word. Algonquin languages are a family of indigenous languages spoken from New England to Saskatchewan to the Great Plains all throughout the North American continent. Those languages include Fox, Cree, Ojibwe, and there are a bunch of words in English that have Algonquin roots like skunk, moose, and caribou. But that term, podunk, being used as like some podunk town, is it connected to the tribe? There was an article in NPR where they did some research into this to figure out is there any connection to podunk, the, the people, podunk, the town, versus this term of some far-off podunk place? There was an 1840 book called The Politician of Podunk about a shoemaker from Podunk, a small village in New York. And then there was a, a question that was asked of the Buffalo, New York national pilot, where in the world is podunk? And then he answered, it is in the world, sir, and more than that, it is a little world of itself. Podunk has been used for nearly 200 years as this reference to some place. Mark Twain used it and said, in Podunk, wherever that may be. But according to some language experts, they don't think that the usage of the word is a reference to the tribe or even to any particular place. The definition of the word itself is actually unclear. In one possible definition means where you sink in mire, a boggy place. But according to historians, using the term as a joke to refer to somewhere as backwards didn't start as a comment on the Podunk people or even any particular town. It just seems that somebody maybe rode past the town, saw the name, and thought it was an odd word and started using it with no noted connection to the place. So it's not like Podunk is some backwater. But back to Manchester. The town was settled by colonists in 1673. In the 1700s, it was the site of a glass manufacturer, and Captain Richard Pitkin was given a 25-year monopoly on glass as payment for providing gunpowder to the Continental Army during the American Revolution. There was also a large silk manufacturer in town, and that led to a local baseball team being named the Manchester Silkworms. They played from 2000 to 2009. <laughs> In the 60s, when Billy was born, there were around 45,000 people, now up to around 55,000. Billy went to East Catholic High School in Manchester. Other alumni include sportscaster Mike Crispino, Royals 2021 first-round draft pick Frank Mazzucato, and Mary Cataret, who played Jack Tripper's girlfriend on the Threes Company spinoff, Threes a Crowd. That's a deep cut. <laughs> I have never seen that show. I've seen a lot of Threes Company, but never Threes a Crowd. Also... Wouldn't it be four as a crowd if now they've included Jack Tripper's girlfriend? Or did one of the three original get kicked to the curb? For the spinoff, I'm guessing they didn't bring the whole cast with them. Just uh, Listeners, yeah. write in. <laughs> yes, we need some help on this one. With the Eagles baseball team, Billy won a state title in 1983. In 1984, they won a conference title, and Billy was an all-state all-star he wasn't drafted out of high school, but he was recruited to play at Davidson College. Over the summer, he played for the Moriarty Brothers team in the Greater Hartford Twilight Baseball League, which is a nonprofit amateur league. That league has been around since 1929 and has a pretty extensive website and an extensive Hall of Fame. Somehow, Bill isn't in their Hall of Fame, but he does have a nice bio. That summer, while playing for the Moriarty Brothers, he went 10 for 13 in the playoffs and scored 12 runs to win the MVP of the playoff championship, giving Moriarty Brothers the title. 
In the fall, he went to Davidson, and he was a center fielder and leadoff batter there. As a freshman, he hit 430 with 10 home runs and stole 28 bases. He was the freshman player of the year in the Southern Conference and was also a freshman All-American selection. And followed that up with an okay sophomore season. He wasn't on the all-conference team, but he still scored a lot of runs. That year isn't in the Davidson record books, unlike his 1985 and 1987 years. But David, I'm confused. 1987 and 1988 are listed on this card that he was at Wake Forest. So what's going on here? I think that there was an error on this card. There's definitely an error in that they didn't include all of his college stats. It makes it seem like he only played two years of college, but he is listed throughout the Davidson record book for his 85 and 87 seasons. He was part of Davidson's Murderer's Row with Dave Turgeon, Alan Lewis, and Dave DePaul, who helped the Wildcats hit a program record 87 home runs in 1987. And that was near the top of the NCAA. That season, according to Davidson, Billy hit 386 with 13 home runs, 22 steals, and walked 26 times against only four strikeouts. That's the stats that are listed on the back of the card for Wake Forest. But he actually did that at Davidson, so Davidson erasure. Mm. He was again All-Southern Conference, was named All-America second team in the Davidson record book. It has him listed as a Davidson All-American. And he was drafted after that season, picked by the Cubs in the 12th round. But rather than sign, he decided to play for Team USA in the Intercontinental Cup. The U.S. won the silver medal, and Billy hit 317 with three home runs. Throughout the summers of his college seasons, he also played in the Cape Cod League, where he was coached by George Greer, who was also his coach at Davidson. Greer coached from 1982 to 87 at Davidson, and then in 1988, he moved to Wake Forest, and Billy transferred to the Demon Deacons. I don't know if there was a transfer portal involved. I don't know (laughs) what the dynamics were. I know that in football, previously, and basketball, you had to sit out a year, but it looks like Billy was able to move and play from 1987 at Davidson to 1988 at Wake Forest. And he was really good in 1988. I'm guessing it's just a North Carolina thing that you go from one North Carolina school to the other. As long as enough barbecue changes hands, everyone looks the other way. It has to be vinegar-based barbecue sauce on the meat for sure. In 1988, as you mentioned, Billy's record was very good. And we go to the fun fact that the 1988 Wake Forest MVP and Athlete of the Year. Billy set marks for runs, hits, doubles, home runs, RBIs, and walks. He was first-team All-American and 1988 Academic All-American. He had a 422 average, 24 homers, 77 RBIs, 35 steals, and only 58 games. This was an on-base percentage of 536 and an OPS of 1.4. This made a splash, so Billy was selected by the Yankees in the seventh round of the draft. He was out of college eligibility, so we go to this way to the clubhouse at the bottom of the card that Billy was a draft selection by the New York Yankees June 1st, 1988, after being scouted by Jeff Taylor. Jeff Taylor had played baseball and football for the University of Delaware. He was drafted by the Rangers as a catcher and decided to pitch instead. And then he went back to school and and pitched and then got drafted the next year by the Yankees as a pitcher. He made it as high as double A and then spent 27 years as a scout for the Yankees, Rangers, Blue Jays, Orioles, and then was a special assistant for the Reds. Jeff passed away in 2014 after a battle with cancer. According to his obituary, 
Jeff had made an extensive bucket list, and he traveled with his family to TPC Sawgrass, and he made par on the infamous Island Green on the 17th hole, and just a few weeks later, he passed away at the age of 58. But I thought that was a fun note that they included in their obituary that I recall that from playing Tiger Woods golf, never being (laughs) able to do it. But Jeff, while battling cancer, was able to make par on the 17th hole. So Billy, being the seventh round pick for the Yankees in the draft, also picked in that round by the Angels a few picks before Billy was Jim Edmonds. Tim Wakefield went in the eighth round that year. Kenny Lofton in the 18th. The Yankees picked Neon Dion Sanders in the 30th round. And the Dodgers took Mike Piazza in the 62nd round. So a very big draft. But before Billy would join the Yankees farm system, he would play for the red, white, and blue. Uh, Team USA, we've discussed several times in the show. In 47 games with Team USA, both in the country preparing for the Olympics, the worldwide tour, and in the Olympics itself, Billy hit 314 with six homers, 32 RBIs, and 11 steals. He played in all three of the group stage games in the Olympics, going four for seven with an RBI and a run scored. He did not play in either the semifinal or the final, and the USA won the gold medal, defeating Japan. And while it was a demonstration sport, Billy is the only person from Manchester, Connecticut to win an Olympic gold medal. Afterwards, he visited his junior high, and there is a picture of students cheering the returning local hero, which is a a great sight to see, capping off an amazing year. So a lot of these guys played with the national team rather than go to play for the team that drafted them. So Billy doesn't have a minor league line in 1988. He starts 1989 at A-level with the Prince William Cannons. He hit 239, but had an on-base percentage near 400 because he led the league with 89 walks. So really good eye, good speed as well. He's a Carolina League All-Star, hit 11 home runs, and stole 16 bases. He split 1990 between Fort Lauderdale and Albany and bounced back and forth between the two because he played well at Fort Lauderdale and then struggled to catch up to double-A pitching, hitting only 188 in 31 games. 1991, he spent the full season at double-A, and he ended up playing pretty well, hitting 295 with 11 home runs over 108 games. And then in 1992, finally makes it to triple-A Columbus. And that is the highest level he would ever play at. He played well in 1992, hitting 266 with 11 homers, 1993 was his best season overall, hitting 316 with 19 home runs, driving in 91 and scoring 81. He led the International League with 82 walks and was named to the All-Star team and was Yankees Minor League Player of the Year, but never got called up. He said, I feel like I deserve to go up because I've proved myself all year. I feel like I could go up there and perform if I could just get my chance. But he was an outfielder, and the Yankees had Bernie Williams, Paul O'Neill, Danny Tartable, and Deion James, who hit 332. So they didn't have room for the 27-year-old Massey, and they didn't trade him either. In 1994, he played 71 games at Columbus. This Columbus team had Sam Horn, Matt Noakes, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, Derek Jeter, and Mariana Rivera. Billy hit 258 in the strike shortened season. He did get a chance to show his skills in spring training 1995, but he didn't make the team. And after only 49 games at AAA, hitting 224, the Yankees released him. And that was it for his playing career. So closing the book on Billy Massey, 678 games played in seven minor league seasons. 
Batting average of 269 with an on-base percentage of 390. He walked more than he struck out. 71 homers, 341 RBIs, and one Olympic gold medal. How about in retirement? Billy returned to Wake Forest, where he served as an assistant coach. He spent some time as a minor league coach and manager in the Expos system, including coaching the Vermont Expos and the Ottawa Lynx. In 1999, he had a big screen debut. He played Mike Robinson in the Kevin Costner baseball film For the Love of the Game. Have you ever seen that movie, Matt? No, I don't remember that one. I have not either. It is based on a novel by Michael Shara, and it focuses on a Detroit Tigers pitcher throwing a perfect game against the Yankees on the final game of the season. Also featured Kelly Preston, J.K. Simmons, John C. Riley, Vince Scully, Steve Lyons, and other players like Juan Nevis. A lot of minor league and former players filled the non-speaking player roles in the lineups. I don't know if Billy had any lines. I have not seen the movie, but if anybody wants to let us know how Billy is as an actor, just write in. Billy joined the Yankees minor league system in 2002, managing an A-ball at Greensboro, then Tampa, then A Trenton between 2002 and 2006. He then hopped to the Blue Jays and then the Padres A teams in 07 and 08. And in his time coaching, he helped develop Brandon Phillips, Cliff Lee, Robinson Cano, and Melky Cabrera into big league players. He was a hitting coach in AA and AAA and then spent some time as a scout for Seattle and also opened a coaching facility in Hartford known as Baseball City. But in 2017, he sold that when his former teammate Derek Jeter became president of the Marlins. Massey went to work in Florida where he remained until 2023, and I found a tweet from 2023 saying, Miami Marlins confirm Bill Massey is no longer with the organization. And Massey had recently been promoted to Senior Director of Player Personnel. So it was a a strange move, but then he was hired as an advisor for baseball operations for the Padres during the 2023 season. And so he was still in baseball, still operating at a high level, working with the San Diego Padres. He's also in the Manchester Sports Hall of Fame. He and his family still reside there. His sons Easton and Rowan are both accomplished athletes. Both played baseball and hockey at Westminster School. Easton doesn't graduate until 2025, but he did recently commit to Boston College, where he will play baseball. And Rowan is currently on the Old Dominion University baseball team. So baseball still running through the family for Billy. But David, we started this show with a 21-year-old guy who looked like a 16-year-old kid. And it was not a story of a, a person going straight from Team USA to the big leagues or straight to AAA, but instead one who really never made it as a player to the big leagues. So after looking at all of this story, what do we think? Billy went from the top of the world winning a gold medal to A ball. And by 1990, he's bouncing back and forth between A and AA. He was frustrated. He said, I'm finding out that professional baseball is not always what you think it is. It can be one big setback after another. You have to produce right away or your history. Two years ago, I was considered one of the top 20 college baseball players in the country. Now I'm back here in A-ball. And unlike some of those other Olympians, this is a seventh round pick. He's not expected to necessarily be a superstar right away. He's not Mark McGuire or Oda B. McDowell. And he found that the minor leagues were tough, but he played well in the minors. And maybe in another organization or in another time, he would have had a clear path to the big leagues. 
This is a guy who had a career 390 on base percentage. He had a good eye. He had good speed, could steal some bases, but he topped out at AAA. He didn't ignite fast enough. If he had been hitting 300 early in his career, he might have been a huge top prospect. And instead, he ends up around 30 years old, stuck at AAA. But in the minors, he made connections with the Yankees, and the Yankees liked him as a person, liked his style, liked the way that he played, and he met guys who would help him out along the way. He spent five or six years working with Derek Jeter at a high level with the Marlins and getting those opportunities by being a likable baseball guy and also a guy with a a good baseball mind. He also has a fiery personality, and maybe that's something that people liked. Of his own coaching style, Billy described one of his tactics saying, I turned over a TV, a microwave, a coffee pot. It cost me a little bit of money. It was not a pretty sight, but it worked. While managing the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, Billy was incensed that the fans were rooting for Clay Buckholtz, who was playing for the other team. He was playing for Portland, and Clay Buckholtz was expected to be the next Red Sox pitching star. And in New Hampshire, that's Red Sox country, but he was not a Red Sox affiliate. He was the coach of the Blue Jays minor league affiliate, and he went off on the fans saying he didn't want them giving a standing ovation to an opposing player. If you are a Fisher Cat fan, when Portland comes to town, it'd be nice if you just stayed a Fisher Cat fan. Massey says his players were baffled by the warm reception for the visitors, who are the AA affiliate of the Red Sox. The Fisher Cats are part of the Toronto Blue Jays organization, but Massey didn't see Red Sox in the opposing dugout. Portland Sea Dogs are not the Boston Red Sox. Massey's reactions caused a stir on the street. I think it's wisdom that should stick with everyone, that when Portland comes to town, if you're a Fisher Cats fan, you should stay a Fisher Cats fan. For all those Fisher Cats diehards, (laughs) I think that the marketing people were also saying that they had sold out a bunch of games in a row, partially because they were playing the Red Sox affiliate and people wanted to see the Red Sox young stars. Minor league baseball is a little bit different, but Billy is a competitive guy. And he was competitive as a player as well, getting angry when he didn't get a call-up. And his career was, like his coaching style, maybe not the prettiest either. The lines on the card are a little bit inconsistent, but his baseball career has worked. Seven seasons in the minors, 13 years as a coach, plus another decade or more as a scout and front office exec. And he has an IMDb film credit. So Billy has done all right in baseball after maybe not having the big league success that he had dreamed of. We'll see where he lands for the 2024 season. It is a little strange when you look at how successful he was in AAA, that 1993 season, and surprising that the Yankees didn't do anything to either involve him or get some value for him. I think there were a lot of teams probably in 94 and 95 that could have used a solid, fast 28 or 29 year old outfielder but sometimes the opportunity is lost and instead you end up in a movie with kelly preston so looks like billy did okay for himself thank you for the story today david thank you again to weston olbrick of the greater hartford twilight baseball league for the bio and thank you to you at home if you're from a podunk town we'd love to hear from you just find us on threads we are 1988 tops podcast thanks a lot and we'll see you next week 